As always, a huge thank you to Starboard, who are once again this season's main sponsors. Starboard has a history of innovation across water sports, starting in 1994 by revolutionising the design of windsurf boards. And they've brought that bang up to date recently, bringing foil windsurfing onto the Olympic stage with their IQ foil package. Starboard got behind stand-up paddleboarding in a huge way in the early days and continued to lead the industry to reduce their environmental impact. Their focus on innovation brought them seven world champions at the ICF Worlds last year, and all of them were using their Lima paddle range. They continue to improve and innovate their boards and their paddles for all abilities across all flavours of the sport, including adventure. And you can find out more about Starboard through their website, which is linked to in the show notes. Welcome to SUP FM, the sport's leading podcast, where we speak to inspiring people from the fastest growing water sport in the world. Our aim is to help you maximise your own experiences of stand-up paddleboarding and to deepen your love of the water as we chat with people from both inside and outside the SUP world. Every episode is designed to inspire, support and provide you with a deeper immersion through my conversations with leading athletes, scientists, adventurers, TED speakers and New York Times best-selling authors. If you like what we do, there are plenty of ways to support the podcast, including telling your friends, following us on social media. You can even buy me a coffee on Patreon or you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, which will help others to find us. Whatever you can do, we appreciate it. This episode is part of our Yukon 1000 mini-season, where we do a deep dive over several episodes into the ultimate adventure race challenge and the longest paddle race on the planet, where we'll talk to the race organisers, teams and individual paddlers in the lead-up, in the start town, just ahead of the race and after the finishing line, closely following what many describe as a truly epic odyssey of a race. Well, a huge welcome back to the show. Our last Yukon episode was the immediate take following the end point of the racer's journey, and it's now been a few weeks since we last heard from them. All the racers are back home in the UK or from whatever country they call home, and that's given everyone a bit more space and hopefully a bit of time to digest and to recover and reflect. So this episode really brings our season's coverage of the race to a close by getting some details on the reality of that experience. So whether you're listening to this as an armchair adventurer, whether you're planning your own adventure or you're planning to take part yourself in the race in 2024 or another year in the future, we'll hopefully have something for everyone in this chat. So I am rejoined by the two SUP teams who successfully crossed the finish line at the Dalton Highway Bridge in Alaska, which is well inside the Arctic Circle, having completed the Yukon 1000 race this year, which started in Whitehorse, Yukon Territory, Canada. We have Martin and Kim from the Renegade Moose Chasers who finished hello. the race hello, in uh, an incredible nine days and seven hours. Hey, guys. Hello. We're still here. <laughs> Excellent. Well done. Well done for surviving. And of course, we've also joined by Craig and Skip of Team Shack, who stayed ahead of the pack 
for more than half of the route to complete the race in eight days and 13 hours. What an awesome effort all of you guys put in. Congratulations, first of all, on completing a cracking race and uh, really uh, flying the flag for British SUP. It was quite amazing to follow. And um, as part of this episode, I've also collected some questions from people who've been following the race in the season. And we're going to put those questions to you later in this chat. But first of all, I just wanted to say it was something that seemed to attract a huge amount of interest. And as one of those who followed the, the race obsessively throughout, it played a pretty leading role in my psyche over the nine days we followed your progress. And there were plenty of people checking the feed obsessively over those nine days. So I just wanted to start out by asking if you had a sense of that interest since you've been back. And uh, Martin, I know we had a brief chat last week and I know you've already been papped, haven't you? Yeah, I got I got um, I got papped about two days ago at the campsite that we run. Well, that was quite remarkable. Um, a lady walked into the coffee shop. I was serving coffee and uh, and um, she just looked at me and she went, Oh my God! I are you are you him that's just done the Yukon on on a Kurok board? I've got a Kurok. I followed you all this. Time. Oh, you're amazing! Can I have a hug? Can I have a picture? So yeah, I got tapped. It was really cool, actually. <laughs> it's been a while. They, they, <laughs> there you go, fame at last, Martin and. Uh... And, and Skip, I know that you were sort of catching up quite a lot after the race on the social media. I mean, what, what was your what was your sort of concept on the um, the amount of following? Because there were plenty of people following and commenting. Well, I, I, actually, I, I don't get onto the social media. That I'm a bit of a social media whore in the sense that I kind of just do my stuff and don't look at anything else. Um, <laughs> but I did have an interesting experience the other night. I went to the golf at Walton Heath and ordered a taxi to pick me up. And the taxi driver knew who I was because of the Yukon. Amazing. <laughs> it was just bizarre. It was really bizarre. He was just, yeah, same as Martin, really, to some extent. You know, oh, I know who you are. You do? Yeah. You've just done the Yukon. I have. How do you know this? So, yeah, unbelievable. And what I like, what I like about this is that Walton Heath is on an international podcast. <laughs> there you go. It was, it was the Women's Open. <laughs> Fame at last, and and obviously that that was helped. Martin, your profile preceded you, but there was also uh, Ashley Kane who um, did a bit of um, drumming up. Um, interest early doors and uh, certainly he he sort of featured in quite a bit of the social media and there was a lot of interaction with all of his fans I mean he had a pretty tough experience particularly at the finish line I don't think he had one working limb at the end of it but uh, but you know what, what was your experience of, um, of of paddling with him as a member of the collective? Yeah I mean, I mean to be honest um, you know we knew that that he was drumming up a lot of interest outside of what would be a traditional following for such a race, um, which, which is obviously great. Um, you know, be, when you're actually in Whitehorse, you don't really pick up on that. Um, I think it's more, I think John, uh, as a race organiser, John was, was telling stories that he would turn Skylink on each morning just to check in on social and he would be in flux with, you know, 500 DMs on his Instagram account from uh, uh, Ashley's followers asking uh, how he was getting on and stuff. So I think, you know, probably the organisers had more uh, during the race. Um, so yeah, uh, yes. uh, Skip and I, the, interact the only interaction we really had uh, with Ashley and Gary was just coming into the flats. They caught us just as we we're going into the flats. And um, uh, we spent a really nice kind of like five minutes having a little natter. Uh, 
which is great. Um, and what was interesting then is we, we were just coming into the flats into towards Circle, um, and you know, Skip and I had made a decision at that point that the, the, the mapping we had was going to take us left right up to Circle. And I knew that I was like, "That's wrong." We, you know, you, the point is you don't go left to Circle; you kind of stay right. Everything's um, right. Uh, yeah, but we we got to a point. We had our chat, and off they paddled, and they just went straight left and disappeared uh, off the circle. And Skip and I, we carried on. We had a, a bit of a couple of nightmares and grounding out, and then we popped out, and they were behind us. <laughs> so, uh, so we, we enjoyed having a little wave again at that point. <laughs> I, I, I think um, any any um, any exposure outside of the, the normal channels that this race and our sport gets is hopefully going to be. Uh, a positive one yeah absolutely and, and we had a few um posts that went absolutely gangbusters one that was very popular was the one that was was put out there by um, fortune favors the brave of you all of you guys setting off so i'll ask you about that experience of setting off from whitehorse in a second but the other one was a story about um ashley kane and that photo of him under that orange sky i'm sure you've seen that one um, I, I put uh, the commentary from Fortune Favours the Brave behind that on a reel, and I think we clocked up about 75,000 views in 24 hours. So there's been a huge amount of exposure, to, but you've beaten that all by your papping and your experience there, guys. If people in Walton, if fame has reached that far, then, then that, that's quite amazing. So anyway, let, we've got a lot of ground to cover here. So let's start from the beginning. We obviously got some messages from you guys at the start line. And as, as I said, our friends and yours, Nick and Dan from Fortune Favours, the brave um, canoe team, sent us some great footage of you setting up off. So how did that feel, Craig, setting off finally? Because this has been so many years in the offing. I mean, was it just impatient and thank God it's arrived? Or were there any feelings of trepidation? Was it adrenaline? How did that feel? Um, probably a, a bit of To be honest, it, it was probably in the moment was less stressful than I thought it would be. I think for all of us, um, uh, I know uh, Martin and Kim had some challenges with taxis picking them up from their hotel, which probably set them off on the wrong thing but I think um that aside I think once you know, I, I'm not speaking for all four of us but I get the feeling we kind of there's obviously there's there is obviously adrenaline going but you're just trying to keep calm um things become very much about the next minute 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 you try not to think too much ahead and you certainly don't start thinking about necessarily the full details or I didn't of what you're about to do because I don't think that would really help at that point at that point you're really just trying to make sure that have I tied down the board properly you know have I put the fin on, you know, like silly little things like is my leash in a place where I'm going to be able to clip it on easily enough. So for me, it kind of got very granular, just like thinking through each thing and trying not to get too caught up in the moment, um, personally. Um, but it, it was probably the biggest anticlimax of a race start that anyone's ever going to see. Um, because, you know, no one wants to trip over on the start line. No one wants to drop something and you know and no one wants to get on the board and fall off in the first 20 meters under all the prying eyes so i think i don't know about you guys but like you get the blessing and you get the countdown and it's go and i think we always kind of trundled off down to our boards in all fairness craig we did actually all run to the to the boards i like, didn't i didn't i had no shoes on i definitely didn't run yeah you you neanderthal it out I sauntered, yeah. <laughs> so it was a le mans start was it or theoretically, <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe, yeah, so, so, maybe Le Mans starts in slow motion for about twenty feet. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, it's a thousand miles, and uh, if you've got to sort of go ten yards to the board, it doesn't make sense to sprint down there, does it? Really? But uh, always, always makes sense. No, I disagree. <laughs> so, so Martin, you, um, what was your start like? I mean, you know, do you echo what Craig said? Um, was your adrenaline spiked by the experience you had with the taxi? I mean, I haven't heard that story. Well, yeah, the t- the um, we were just on high alert because we'd booked a taxi for 6am. We were starting the race at 7.30am. We had a, a five-minute drive. Um, the taxi didn't arrive, <laughs> so we were standing outside of our accommodation, all bags and ready to go. And um, thankfully, um, I managed to get hold of um, Chloe Craig um, because we couldn't get a, a taxi, and she managed to raise a taxi for us. But anyway, bundled into a taxi, and we arrived there, probably with about 55 minutes to go and that that included pumping up our boards getting everything ready putting it all on board make you know making sure we'd done everything correctly in a really really short stressful space of time um so that wasn't so clever um but when we did get our boards on the water and everything was packed and we were ready to go one thing that really, for me personally, I can't talk for Kim here, but one thing that really helped me out was stopping and having the words from John um, that really settled settled me, and also um, the the blessing from Glenn. I think that was highly potent for me. That one, in fact, both of them were. Um, and I believe for me personally, can't speak for Kim, but they they really helped me um, sort of blinker me into what I was about to get into. It was a First Nations blessing, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah. 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 Um, it was a wonderful, wonderful blessing. He said some very poignant words just to the four of us. Um, we all got given a little pouch with tobacco in it because tobacco in First Nation culture is highly respected and valued. And um, so we all got a little pouch of tobacco, which I still have, obviously. Um, and then we we got a little, we got asked to nip a little piece of some tobacco into our hand. And then each of us individually went down to the water to make our peace um, with the river and our craft in wh- whatever way we felt needed mm. and then we were to we, when we put the, the the tobacco into the water and that was kind of um after that we were focused and ready to go yeah so that, you know that that really helped settle me i mean yeah, yeah it was yeah, it was a very you know special moment. Very spiritual honest. moment. Yeah, very, very special. Uh, uh, and Kim, just um just in terms of these sort of long journeys, obviously you're no stranger to to you know these sorts of long um expeditions you know particularly on your bike i suppose what craig said about you know just thinking about this next moment to the next if you think about how far you've actually got to go it could you know potentially really intimidate yeah yeah, yeah. you just sort of have to sort of take it in stages i think really and but and, but this event was a lot different to what i've done before because while i was doing it with martin with somebody must have been on my own mm. and to I was never rarely up against the clock. It was all, you know, in my own time frame. So, so being against the clock sort of does add a lot of pressure. But um, 
Yeah, we, well, yeah. Well, we you, you beat you beat the clock. So um, so fantastic. So so obviously set off. Um, the first major obstacle was uh, Lake Labarge, which is a huge monster and uh, it's renowned for having different weather conditions at different sort of stages of the lake but watching it watching the colored dots move as i did it, it looked like that you, you sort of progressed through that relatively quickly or, or not potentially as badly as i've seen some people have just tell us about um like the barge craig um yeah i mean we were, again we were very lucky in as much as we had a very subtle, slight kind of tailwind. Um, it was clear. Um, uh, but that said, you also know that it can change so quickly. I mean, it's, I think having done it, and I think Martin, having done uh, the Great Glen, would probably, uh, uh, and also Kim, I think, with the Great Glen, is it kind of reminds me quite a bit of Loch Ness, actually. Um, it's very similar distance. You can kind of see both uh, sides pretty much. You kind of know it can change at any moment. You know, I've done Loch Ness when it's been flat and then halfway across it's whipped up. So I think, uh, you, you know, you, 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 you're thankful for the conditions at that, at that exact moment, but you're also really mindful of that it could change any time. So you, you kind of make hay while the sun shines um, was, was my feeling. Um, you know, it's, uh, you don't feel like you're making progress again because you can see the end, because it's so clear, you can pretty much see the end from when you get on it, <laughs> as in you can see, a mountain range what you think um, is the end yeah and you, you you're, you're using points in the bank to, to see how close you're getting something and you, you're aiming for a headland and three hours later you're not on that headland and you, you get around that headland and you realize there's another tent you know, you, there's another range of mountains that you're looking yeah. at yeah so i think uh, i think we were we were all blessed with with the conditions we had um you know having seen footage from other years it could be so different so i think we were very thankful for that um uh but yeah it was just you're just always kind of on your guard and then the funniest thing and i think martin and kimball will have exactly the same experience and no matter how many times the organizers tell you that like when you get to the end of lake labarge and you're looking for the entrance to the yukon river this mighty river that going to the bering sea this beast you've been told about it's like you get to the top corner and you can't see the damn thing <laughs> and you're following a tree line and then you, Skip and I thought we'd made it. We stopped and had a little bit of celebration. We've done it, and then realised we still had another two k to go, and carried on a bit further. And then when you finally get to it, you kind of it's a tree line, a bank, and you kind of come around the corner, and it's just a little tiny entrance to a river. And you 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 think is is this the the gateway to another nine hundred miles of uh, you know. Of, of hell <laughs> or, or fun um how you want to look at it and i think you know that was really interesting because you kind of pull into this you pull back into the yukon and you know it's correct and it's the 30 mile river it's called from there and it does speed up again and you you start to feel the pull but it's it was really strange i think having such a big body of water to cross over you know it took us eight and a half hours i went to cross it and you you're looking for this tiny little uh almost inlet um uh, which is again the gateway to what we saw for the other, you know, nine hundred and twenty miles. Yeah, there's huge distances involved, and uh, we've talked in previous episodes about restriction in tech. I I just wanted to understand. I mean, I think I know the answer to this, but I want just wanted to understand how you got a sense of the mileage that you were covering. I assume you had Garmin's or, or something similar, or, or did you just rely on the maps? No, I think we're not. I, we had uh, and I, we, we had a, a Garmin watches 
so we had we had our paper maps which we had made ourselves which had a track on there and they also had every kilometer marked as dots um we had our garmin watches which were tracking obviously what we were doing and used throughout the whole race but then i had a garmin fortrex uh tracker between my I say tracker gps unit between my feet and effectively that sole job was to tell us our current speed mm-hmm. um it was basically like a car speedo so that's what we had uh for tracking and the idea was that if we weren't sure where we were but if our watch said we we're uh, at 270 kilometers we could go to the 270 kilometer mark on the map and find ourselves within you know, so it's very a lot quicker than using grid references obviously over the course of a thousand miles that slips but i think by the end of it skip i think by the end of it though we were still only about 10 15 kilometers out on our watches from our maps so so we had that as a way of just reassuring ourselves or helping us find where we were uh, and the speedo was the most invaluable thing um mm. it's uh, it's piece of advice number one is you know a speedo you can look at while paddling um it, it's you know it's invaluable absolutely invaluable as martin realized after day five <laughs> <laughs> well, well, tell, that, tell that story that's a great lead in <laughs> i don't know that story what i, I, I think it's martin I, think, <laughs> I, I, I wasn't dropping you in it there martin i think it's more about as we know as brits with not much flow on the north of broads or the river uh, right, yeah yeah it's like there's a lot of learning on the job right yeah i mean i think our experience of um distance and speed was very much different i mean we had same as you we had a, a we had a garmin um because because kim and i basically just bought the same stuff in the end we we both had a matching pair of garmin 86i marine gps's and our mapping had uh, our, our digital mapping was mirrored in our paper mapping um with kilometer grid squares on on the mapping so we we kind of did well again yeah from me you know i i we had 10 days you know when you set off you have 10 days to cover 961 miles or whatever it is depending how you go um and I, I kept saying to Kim, I said, right, at the end of day three, it needs to have, it needs to be north of a, it needs to have a three in front of it. And it needs to be north of that on day four. It needs to have a four in front of it. It needs to be north of that, you know? So when I, I'm, a, I'm a little bit more simplistic in that view, because that's the actual reality of the situation, isn't it? You know, I was constantly doing maths in my head um i was con and, and that's actually one thing that kept my kept my brain active throughout the whole journey was doing math problems in my head i was i was working out when, did, well, when did your head give up on that <laughs> it didn't honestly well, I, I didn't in fact it probably became more and more focused towards the last two or three days because you know that's when you know whether it's going to work out or whether it's not you know, so we struggled um, to tell the time <laughs> or work out the hours at some point. So you did really well to do that. <laughs> I mean, I know, you know, you guys, you guys were ahead and um, I knew there was absolutely no way we were going to be catching you. Um, but so, so I, the wish battle, I wish we'd known that. <laughs> well, the, ba- the battle then became let we need to, we need to get it in the cutoff. And that, that was all that mattered you know so um so math problems for me was you know because like as craig said i I race a lot i'm constantly working out in my head distances versus speeds versus time so i had a good i had a good inkling 
you know, as to how it was going to work out, certainly towards the end. But um, yeah, nothing is not nothing that complicated, really. It's quite simplistic, just maths. <laughs> Makes me sound clever, but I'm not. Yeah, that sounds more complicated to me, definitely. <laughs> I should say that because obviously the pace that you go at is dictated by the water flow. And you could really see by the, the sort of record performances and the winning performances in previous years, how that affects the overall time. So 22, unfortunately, the, the year that you weren't able to compete, Craig and Skip, that, that was a bit of a sort of a fast year. But I, I guess that makes it difficult to sort of target the amount of mileage that you're going after. So so I, I would imagine, you, you know, you just um, set your targets by hours, don't you? You never look at previous years. I mean, you can never compare. It's just, it's not even, it's the same location, but there's no comparison. Mm. Uh, the river's very different year on year, isn't it, Craig? Yeah, you know, yeah. So. And, it, and we all know it's not just the, the water flow. Um, I, funny enough, I was watching a video today, obviously, with some of the documentary content we're getting. Um, and what I didn't realise is the people that know the river will do a different route depending on whether it's a low, mid or high. So some of them have got three choices. And they, if they know it, they know it. We're, we're four guys from the UK that have done our best with a bit of mapping software as well. So I think you can't compare previous years. You know, you'll just be... You, as Martin said, you know, you're, race. yeah, you've got to race your race, and you you're you are doing the math in your head. Um, unlike Martin, it got harder for us. <laughs> but <laughs> what, what is interesting, actually, is the clarity. As Martin helps you found clarity of numbers. There is a strange thing when you're old, really tired and, and and you only have a certain thing to focus on. But sometimes you can be re- clarity can come in strange times. Um, Martin found it in numbers. I found it with kind of mapping and looking at maps and just being logically where we were and stuff. But uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, every is different beast. So you, as Skip said, you know, race your own race. Okay. So, so day two, um, the rest of the fleet started, you were heading through the Carmax and, and that night, I think team shack, you made it just past five finger rapids. And uh, from what I saw on the tracking, you'd found an island just sort of beyond that spot to, to camp best on. Best campsite of the whole trip. One of the best. Well, I, that, that <laughs> was going to be my next question, because I would have imagined that would have been a pretty spectacular campsite. So that was definitely it for, for you guys, was it? I mean, it was a spectacular evening for us, actually. I think, you know, the Carmax to Five Fingers um, stretch was... Uh, uh, a really interesting one for us. I mean, when, when we came into Carmax, it was bizarre because we'd obviously, well, not obviously, but we had been to that same spot and camped on that campsite last year um, and seen some of the races come through. And when we approached it, the, 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 the banks of the river aligned with people cheering at us, which wasn't the case last year. So we weren't expecting it. It was just like, what the hell's going on here? Really, 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 really bizarre. But it turns out Glenn and Maureen had... Uh, uh, kind of whooped up the interest within the campsite and got everyone to the riverbank. And so we went through Carmax and then uh, at the other side of Carmax, uh, Craig, I think you had an off. Um, capsize, my first capsize. Yeah, first capsize. Uh, and uh, so, you know, that stretch then was about, we know where we are. We know we could get to five fingers at this point. Do we go for it based on the fact that we've had an off and blah, blah, blah. Um, and it's getting late and you've got to hit the, the, the target times and all that stuff. Um, and after a quite, quite a, a long discussion around that from the pros and cons point of view, from a safety aspect more than anything, we decided to go for it and, and get through five fingers that night, um, which we, we did, which was great. You know, that was a real 
kind of ticking a box for us. You know, five fingers on second day was a is a good accomplishment as, as far as any racer is concerned on the race. Um, and when we got to the other side of it, you know, we knew we were going to come into camp. So warming up and that was all, if we'd come off, we would have been going into camp and warming up. So it was the right decision in that moment. Equally, it's lighter at midnight than it is at four in the morning. And the reason I say four in the morning is because we would have had to stop before uh, midnight to, to, to not go through five fingers. So about 10 o'clock, which meant we would have had to leave at four o'clock. Um, uh, and I'm, I'm getting the maths now, Martin. It's coming to me now. I don't, I don't know where it's coming from. <laughs> but we decided to go through, which means we, we actually landed into camp about half past 11. Um, and we knew we were going straight into camp. And it was, a, it was we were really lucky because it was a beautiful campsite with beavers um, slapping their tails around. And uh, there was, was there signs of bear? I don't think there were signs of bear, but there was moose prints on that, that campsite for sure. Um, yeah, and there and was a, rabbit, little, and a random rabbit. The rabbit. Yeah, rabbit. rabbit just yeah, sat there, yeah, calm as anything, as we did all our things on the beach. He just sat there and watched us. It was brilliant. Yeah, great campsite. And then we ate him. <laughs> no, we didn't. <laughs> uh, what about you guys? What What was your camping highlight? Or were you just mission focused, tents up, food on, into bed, into the sleeping bag? Pretty, pretty much that actually. I mean, we didn't um, we didn't go on a um, a team shack holiday camp, but which is what that one sounded like. <laughs> <laughs> it was all a holiday. As far as- um, no, I mean, uh, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, I think well, I've, I've decent. yeah, I mean, uh, do you know what? The whole blinking place is so beautiful that it's very hard not to have a good campsite. You know, um, I've got my favorite camps, you know, but I think on day two, we camped just outside of Carmax cause we didn't quite make it to Carmax. Um, mm-hmm. and, um, it was it was probably the worst campsite we had because we had to portage all our kit. It looked really accessible, but what you find with a lot of the little islands is that the little islands, but you can't actually because we've got a fin on the boards, you can't actually get to them. So you can actually get within around about I don't know twenty meters of it, but then you're having to walk the rest. You know, so having to pick up all your kit and walk it to the island. But um, I think every every single island we went on had certainly had moose prints on it which was cool. I've got some photos of my foot next to a moose print. And let me tell you, mooses are huge. They are big bits of kit, you know. Um, and then I think that we had another camp. Didn't we? But yeah, we went on this other campsite. And of course, when you get on the campsite, you've always got to check it out. You know, you've got to check it out for fresh um, bear prints, fresh sort of bear scat, whatever. Um, got on this campsite walking around we thought it was okay then I actually found some bear prints um, on the campsite but I think they were about a week or two old so I thought fair one let's just camp here <laughs> it's all good um, so yeah we've had some we had some amazing camp it's like I said it's hard to get a bad campsite um, whilst you're there because everything is just a hundred and hundred percent beautiful um, my favourite site was in um, in the Arctic Circle, probably on around about day uh, on our last camp. Actually, that was probably my second to last camp. Maybe those two were my favourites up in the Arctic Circle. The club of cabin was cool. Oh God! Apart yeah, from mosquitoes. Yeah, we actually. Yeah, we stayed in. We stayed in an Airbnb. No, it was. It was. <laughs> we. No, we found we came across um, Glen Creek Cabin. Have a look on the map in for Glen Creek Cabin. So it's um, sorry, I'm waffling on, but it was amazing. Um, it was a um, a public use cabin, 
Um, it was in the flats. It was, I think, maybe just before. Don't know. Yeah. Can't remember. But um, it was this beautiful, proper, traditional log cabin. And um, you were, you arrived at this cabin. Hopefully, nobody's already in it. You, you open up the door. There's a bear door. Then there's a, a mosquito door, and you get inside. And there was three metal framed beds. There was a little kitchen area where you could do your kitchen. What? There was a. There was a. Um, there was, um, there was, What's going on here? <laughs> there was a log burner that you could have put your granny in. You know, it was just huge. Um, there was a. There was, there was a long drop toilet. Oh man, it, um, Craig! I think I think I might have actually submitted that footage. So go go find it. But yeah, with the, the log cabin was amazing. It yeah. had beer. <laughs> wow, was cool. I was I wasn't expecting that. That's uh, that, that's neither were we, Simon. To be fair, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm going to send you. I'm going to send you all the video I took of it after this call. So um, yeah, and then you can all get proper jealous. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or not. <laughs> it was allowed. It, of the race yeah absolutely so, so, so you basically had six hours didn't you and we talked about this again in the previous episode and that's not a long time to get yourself all sorted and fed and rested so team shack first of all how did your process develop over time did it get looser how did you manage that it, it, got, lo- it, got, it got loose so <laughs> this is, so day, day, the comparison day one campsite um uh, well, no, we go to day two campsite. Day one campsite was horrific. It was shit. Uh, very, yeah. similar, very similar to Martin's um, and Kim's, where we had to portage across stones. And anyway, day two, we obviously had our just after uh, Five Fingers. But there, you pull your boards up. You got your, you get your uh, bear spray out. You're walking around. You're analysing every print and trying to guess its age. You know, and trying to make a decision and looking for scat. And you, know, you've got a knife nearby. Like, what would that really do? Uh, uh, you know, day seven you pull up, you take a glancery look around and you fall asleep on the floor. Yeah, I, I, think, I, I think I lost know, it's like, by day yeah, five. Yeah, you're basically like, if a bear wants me, you can have me. I stink of it. You don't know what you do. You, you, I had great faith in the smell of, 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 of eight days not getting undressed. The, the <laughs> I didn't say the smell of me um, then, Craig. No. So I, I think, did it, did, yes, I think um, it does adapt over the time because you work out things that take a bit long. Uh, on paper, it sounds that like it should be really quick, you know. Um, uh, and but the longer it goes on, the more time-consuming basic, simple tasks take. Um, uh, Skip was amazing. I mean, I, I, I'll, I'll let him talk for himself, but, like, he, he had to get into bed as quickly as possible. When his, his one-man tent was up in 30 seconds. Never seen it. it was like a pop-up tent. He was in it. I liked to almost – I have to kind of wind down. So me winding down was – checking the boards are secure and uh, it probably did skip's head in because i would check the boards are secure yeah they're secure i'll walk away oh, i need to go and check again what if they float off so i was like putting logs next to them and i was tying a guy rope around stuff and we did have our out. duties to be fair just sorry to yeah, interrupt oh, no. Greg. i just need to be oh, clear here i did yeah, yeah. my jobs before i got into bed no, no, had more no, jobs no, to do that he felt he needed to do yeah. that's a great point yeah it wasn't a case of that but it's like we had these split jobs um and then you know, you, you, you get, you get into bed and, and, and I've talked about this before about, uh, trying to set the alarms. This is where for me, unlike Martin, any kind of mathematical equation, the longer the, the trip went on, the harder it became to do some of the most simplistic maths. Um, and for me, it was around setting the alarm clock. You know, we, we as you say, we have a six hour break. We have a sort of six hour 
stop mandatory stop time. Um, you know, I had a stopwatch that started a six minute, six hour countdown the second we knew we were going to stay at that campsite. That was the easy part. Two things, <laughs> we get stuff ready. And then it comes to sitting there going, right, I now need to set an alarm clock that's going to go off. An hour and 15 is what we decided. Clearly, I didn't have to worry about this stuff because yeah. Craig does. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so I was like, I, I need an alarm clock to go off an hour and fifteen before the six-hour timer goes off. But by now, half an hour's passed of me faffing around putting stuff up. So, what time does it need to be set for? I had to start drawing pictures of clock faces. I've got my notepad where I'm drawing clock faces because I just couldn't compute something so simple. Um, um, so, but our processes did get refined. We did all our cooking. Uh, we, we we never cooked an eight in camp. We never ate in camp. Uh, we, you know, while we were breaking camp, water was boiling. Uh, our freeze dried food was made. Maybe we shouldn't be giving too many secrets away, Craig. Hey, hey? Oh, we're, we're done now, mate. Uh, <laughs> you know, all our all our food was cooked and put into free into uh, heat proof containers while we were breaking camp, and we would eat on the water because, as the guys will tell you, you know, you can be eating while drifting at ten kilometers an hour. I'm probably going off a tangent now, Skip. Have you got anything else to add on our camp routine? Oh, camp routine. No, you're pretty much on the money, mate. Yeah, I used to go to bed, and you'd faff around for a while, and then go to bed. <laughs> Looking to take your performance to the next level? Then look no further than Ocean Specific. Introducing the Strike Series VRX, the ultimate sup paddle designed for maximum power and efficiency. Its firm flex shaft optimizes energy transfer for efficient paddling. Its double dihedral blade ensures an unrivaled grip on the water, boosting your surfing, racing, and touring performance. Ocean Specific sponsors and promotes UK surf and race culture, supporting athletes and adventurers racing teams including the Shack team competing in this year's Yukon 1000 and they're committed to providing professional grade equipment at an accessible price. Visit oceanspecific.com today to explore their range of high performance paddles, hardware and apparel and the links to all of our sponsors are in the show notes. We'd like to thank Baltic Life Jackets for returning as episode sponsors this season. Baltic designed and developed their SUP Elite PFDs to solve two key problems facing stand-up paddlers. The slim-down front panel makes it easier to climb back on your board, and the ergonomic cutaways around the arms accommodate the SUP stroke, allowing you to paddle freely without restriction to the point that you hardly notice you're even wearing it. The SUP Elite also incorporates storage and the option to add a hydration pack, which is perfect for the summer. So check out the SUP Elite and the SUP Pro PFD at your local stockist or at supfmpodcast.com forward slash Baltic. Renegade Moose Chasers, what about your routines? Did they uh, develop over time or did they sort of loosen up as you got more increasingly exhausted? Yeah, I mean, we, we had the same problem with the alarms a couple of times, didn't we? Uh, well, you but, did. Well, you did as well. We <laughs> both sent the alarms and they didn't go off. Yeah. But luckily, we, we did wake up in time, so... I think that we got tighter as we went on. I think we got a bit more disciplined, not disciplined, but just got used to the process as we went on because... Um, yeah, I would agree with that. Do that too. And you simplify it as well, don't you? You definitely yeah. simplify things the further it went on. It was like, well, we don't need to do that. And it's, sorry to interrupt, but I agree. I agree with Martin, what Martin's saying. We, 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 we kind of looked after our own stuff when we got off because we, we both had our own stuff, you know. So I did mine, he did his, that was fine. Um, um, we did the same as what you guys did. Um, we, we, when, when we were making our evening meal, 
we did eat our evening meal in camp, but we also made our next day's lunch or midday or, you know, daytime meal at the same time. And we did breakfast on the go. So we did breakfast on the go. We drift for that. And then we already had our meal for lunch the next day done the night before. And we would drift on that as well. Um, we just weren't that fussed if it was hot or not. Cause, um, three meals a day, no, three meals a day and a cabin. Oh yeah, yeah. We welcome to welcome to. We do wrong here. (laughs) Yeah, massage. You know, (laughs) we got like a black bear to put its paws on our back. (laughs) So no, in in answer to that, I I think our timings remained the same. They, you know, and we were pretty much okay. We we were always overtime a little bit for sure, but but fifteen, ten to fifteen minutes overtime. You know, whatever. Um, exactly. We're on holiday. We're on holiday. <laughs> exactly. Team Shack, you stayed ahead of the pack until well into day five, which is quite incredible at the pace that some of these people were coming through. And got to say something now for the home sauna kayak team. Um, those women were absolutely incredible. I mean, I, I guess you could have seen it in all of their social media ahead of time. They were just like an absolute machine, you know, in all of their, oh, their they were like a Soviet bloc. Um, Dolph Lundgren yeah. thing going on there. Yeah, they, they were absolutely sort of steaming through. It's Lindgren, Annette, and they also came down to welcome everyone by the riverside as well, didn't they? All the way through, I think they were there at the finish for for the moose chases as well, weren't they? Just so, I mean, there were three Estonian teams there. Is that is, is that usual? Do, you know, did you get to speak to them? Is it a special year for Estonia and the Yukon One Thousand? I mean, I, I guess the landscape potentially would be broadly similar. It's kind of in that area, I guess. It's um, obviously this year, the three teams, um, it, it, kayaking is a very big sport in Estonia. Um, as we've, I think we all now discovered um, and seeing the exposed. It's like a national sport, I think. <laughs> uh, yes, a national sport and following them and their preparations. And obviously, again, doing the documentary, I get to see a lot of the prep content as well. So you can see how, how important it was to them um, and to the country. Uh, but the teams are also very different. I mean, the two girls were out to set, set records. And if you think, going back to what we said earlier, Simon, that you can't compare years, these guys are going out to set a record for kayaks full stop. Not a record, not, not to win this year's race. So they already know they're going up against the record from last year of Ben Racing doing it on a high water year. So I think... To go into a race knowing that you're already at a massive disadvantage and still go in smiling like those girls did and to almost do it is incredible. And in contrast, I can't, uh, the, one, of the ever, one of the ever Estonian teams, they were really fast, but they also loved their coffee. And so basically what would happen is they would paddle really fast, overtake a couple of teams and then stop and make coffee <laughs> and get passed by the teams again. And uh, it, we were hearing these stories about you need to catch the Estonian, I can't remember the team name, they were... Yeah, so we could have a coffee. It, yeah. And it's like, you, if you caught them, they would make you a coffee. Um, so I think the Estonian, they showed the spirit, not just on the water, but on the land. Mm. Um, their support teams, and obviously it's an unsupported race, but the fact that you have teams with you at the beginning, I mean, it looked like the Olympic Games, if you're walking around Whitehorse at the beginning, because everyone's in a match in Estonian mm. tracksuits. Uh, but they were amazing. And it's like, they were so 
um, kind and welcoming, friendly and supportive to every single team and every person that race, from the racers to their support team. They waited and welcomed in every team. And for us to pull in and see the girls waiting there to welcome us in when they'd passed us you know, five days earlier, it's not the best place to hang out for five days at the finish line, particularly. You know, um, it's, it's incredible. I think that's a testament to them. Were they there um, five days before us, Craig? Well, no, they, well, they passed us five, but they're gonna, they were there two or oh, three I see days. What you mean. Okay. Spent, no, okay. um, you know, they've spent a lot of time there. Um, and, you know, I think there's friendships and relationships been built with all the races there. And I think, I think Martin, we'd all like to go over there, right? And uh, they'd take part in some of their races. I tell you what, they've got some cracking races over there, haven't they? So yeah. I've got a feeling there may be a question coming up later about that kind of stuff. But <laughs> um, uh, yeah, there's um, they, they've got some pretty beasts of races over there. I mean, I think they mentioned the race that they did and I think they won it called the 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 Gila Gila XL or something. It's like some kind of ridiculously long hard race with no breaks and they won it and but yeah I'd love to go over there actually. Um and now we have friends over there we could probably yeah. <laughs> probably wangle it. Yeah. And if not you could probably find a hut there, Martin. Yeah. So five days in, Craig um and Skip, you got passed by the Hamsona team at what point because we did talk about fatigue and that kicking in and I know that was a a, a big limiter and um so so when did the 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 sort of fatigue really kick kick in for you I'll, I'll have a go at this one Craigie well actually I think Craig and I both felt that the longer the race on went on actually the stronger we became the more in tune with what we were doing um uh became almost easier from that sense because your body just kind of dials in and learns what it's doing. It's the mental bit that then becomes a bit more of a challenge, but physically you get stronger um, as the race goes on. Well, that's what I think Craig and I both experienced again, not talking for Kim and Martin. Um, so that, that was a really interesting one. So, you know, when, when we were getting to the second half of the race, we were feeling stronger. I think it's fair to say, Craig, would you say the same? Yeah. Yeah. I would. Yeah. I would. It's quite interesting actually, because I don't think, well, the sheer, sheer nature of the race none, none of the people in this podcast have ever done something like that so you don't know what's going to happen and you you think the things you think you're going to struggle with uh which would be physical fatigue it, actually as skip said you kind of get into a a routine it's kind of it gets dialed in and it, you just get into this automatic kind of cycle of paddling um and the stuff that really hits you is the mental side. You know, the we, what we had is because because we knew we were out. We, we didn't get overtaken until sort of like day five, later on day five. So there's a strange thing there of like thinking, well, we know we've not taken the wrong turn, but where is everyone? But then we had creeping paranoia. So first team caught us, and then we were like oh, Martin and Kim. They could be just literally around the corner behind us, and we were like. We're, this is weird, you know, you're thinking, and you start having mind games. You just right to the like, end, to, we had that, didn't we? Right, right to the end, very right end. To, literally at the very last corner, we still were looking back. Um, and it's because, <laughs> no, but I think it's, I think it's a really interesting thing about how your mind works, because when it's not got much to think about, it just creates things. So hallucinations, audio hallucinations, something I've never experienced before, like hearing songs and things in the in the mountains now the mountains echo you do hear things but so i think can i just interrupt sorry great to interrupt you i just got to say that you know there was a moment when i did quite a lot of singing on the river so there was a lot of echoing going on 
when we were singing and Craig would go, skip, skip, you've got to keep it down because Martin and Kim might hear you. And they'll <laughs> they know how far away we are. All, all these mind games. It was, it, was, uh, it was bizarre. And you talk yourself into these mind games, you know, and it's like, um, and it's because you're, you know, physically we found a routine. Yes, you've, you've got blisters, um, things ache, you know, you need to stretch, but you're just, you're looking after those things and you're treating any blisters or scratches or cuts or things, but the mind has all this time to kind of like just, it, it can't think of anything complicated. So it goes to, it almost goes to the, the most simplistic thing it thinks about. So it's looking at a map, it's looking at a timer and then it's filling the rest of the time with paranoia. Um, well, more uh, so for you, I think, than me. Yeah, no, more so for me, because I'm a very competitive person. But like, I'd look back and you'll see a tree, a floating tree. Is that them? <laughs> we've been too slack, Skip. We've, we've, taken too, we've, we've floated too long <laughs> resting. Um, and, you know, in hindsight, I know now that really, like, you know, it's mind games. Um, but it's a, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a thing you can't train for. Uh, like sleep, like sleep deprivation. It's nothing you can train for, as we said before. Um, so yeah, it's it's an interesting one. But I think physical fatigue. It, I think it hits you guys. You tell me as well. And like it hits you maybe an hour after you finish. Um, uh, and then for the next next four weeks. Yeah, when you when you stop and you stand, <laughs> you stop and you stand still when you're away off your board and you've got changed and you've maybe had a shower and then it's almost like it. It's like well, here you go. I've, not giving you any grief for the last nine days. Bang. <laughs> so, so me, so me, chases. I mean, what was your experience in terms of fatigue, Martin? I know that you know, um, you know, you had some interesting times on your board, you know, falling asleep almost. Yeah. So I, I echo pretty much what Craig's just said. Actually, that, that physically, first couple of days, first couple of yeah, first couple of days, you would go to bed. Obviously, you're lying on a hard surface on a on a camp or whatever and you know you can't get comfortable because your body just aches <clears throat> and then kind of after that your body just goes this is all good no problem at all and and I tell you what I, I no had no, at all. none at all I had no aches whatsoever after day three none at all in fact I was more than more than happy like when I got to the finish line I actually, after we did our little interview, I, I ran up to the truck stop because I had so much energy and I felt okay. And I, I, I said to John, I said, I suppose we've got to do a 10K run now, have we? You know, because um, I, felt, I felt totally bob on. Um, it was a free burger they ran for. <laughs> Don't blame him. Fueled by the beer. Yeah. <laughs> but the hardest thing, as again, I echo what Craig's just said, is sleep deprivation. You cannot self-administer sleep deprivation. It has to come and bite you on the arse. It's as simple as that. And I don't think I experienced it till at least day three, maybe four. Um, but I actually fell asleep standing up. And that was pretty freaky. You know, because you know when you paddle, Simon, you put the paddle in, you hinge a little bit, you know, you lean forward. So, so I was going, I was going, Paddle down, stand up, paddle down, stand up. And my eyes were just going closing. And I literally fell asleep standing up. And not that anybody should fall asleep at the wheel in a car and nobody does it. And it's never happened to anyone, obviously. But that sensation <laughs> is exactly it. Uh, you know, you kind of, you wobble so far and then you wake yourself up at a quick brace stroke and, whoa, okay. 
sitting down. We were sitting down on the boards for you know resting, paddling. You've got the camping bag behind you, and actually that's really comfy. So you fall asleep, mm-hmm. and I think I again my 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 mind towards the end of it started to learn how to deal with the sleep deprivation, but it didn't come till much later. So my way of working it is like you know. I would literally get my hat, put it in the water, throw loads of a sodden hat on my head. And then I would literally get handfuls of water and throw it into my face. And then I'd slap myself around the face once or twice because it hurt. And that's how you dealt with it because sleep deprivation kind of only ha- only kind of lasted for about an hour, around 10 in the morning. And then you'd yeah. go through sleep. Yeah, I heard about your uh, power naps, Skip. Yeah, yeah, they were brilliant. Absolutely. I didn't know I could power nap, and it all came from Glenn saying to me that he learned to do it in the canoe last year, and the man grew up in a in a canoe. Yeah. Never done it before, and he said to me, and I was struggling by, was it day two, Craig? I had my first, I've got to try this. Yeah, day two or three. It was yeah, fairly early on. Yeah, yeah, it was fairly early on. I was like, I'm nodding off already. I'm going to try what Glenn said, and I laid down and... and and uh, we'd float for a bit and I'd have five minutes or five or six minutes, whatever Craig allowed me to have. Um, and for me, that, that, that sorted me right out. I mean, Craig, Craig is a Duracell bunny. He doesn't he, like, like in camp. He didn't need the same sleep I needed. He was the same on the river. He, he's a machine. I wasn't the same. I had to learn how to very quickly. And I did really early on, fortunately. And I would do it twice a day. I did it twice a day. And it was both in the morning. Both both five minute or five or ten minute kips were in the morning on the board while we were travelling, and for me that was my lifesaver. And I'm so glad that I learnt that, or Glenn had mentioned it to me so early on in that weight because it was an absolute for both of us actually. I think Craig, wasn't it? It was was what 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 got got me up and paddling. That's incredible. That's a real education, and so interesting about how you tolerate that um, sort of uncomfortableness there, particularly in terms of sleeping and how your body, um, you know, you essentially get fit on the road and the body's amazingly adaptable in terms of how it uh, develops and um, adapt, particularly when it's under stress. Um, I've got to ask about wildlife encounters. We've talked about uh, a lot about moose tracks and bear scat. Did you see any any moose moose chasers or, or any uh, any bears out there? Yeah, we did. We saw um, we saw a young one, didn't we, on the bank the first time? Yeah, day 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 two, day, yeah, day, day two, two, we saw a moose um, um, on the bank. Um, one evening when we were just getting off the boards to camp, um, a moose had swam across the river with its two young youngsters. So that was uh, quite special. And that that was in a freaky place as well. Yeah, well, yeah near I'm the on, church. Yeah, so we so just imagine this: you are four hundred and six miles in. You're about two hundred miles from any form of civilization or whatever it is, and then you see St Andrew's Anglican Church, and we're camping on the end of the spit of land there. And did the we ch- do the same race? Yeah, I'm really, really confused. <laughs> so you, you camped by a church, you stayed in a hut, you had massages. What, 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 the, what was going on here? Well, it's like that's all the hallucinations, isn't it? But... Well, do you know what? It could have been, couldn't it? But, but to, I mean, I mean, so, so yeah, I'm, I'm just going off at a tangent there, but this was the freakiest place on earth. It's like middle of nowhere. No, there's no roads to it on the map. And you see this like wooden church that's all a little bit crooked with a bell tower in it. 
and a house there and then maybe a few outbuildings. And then you look on your, because the mapping we had, had it on there and it said said St. Andrew's Anglican Church. And you went, Great. how did you miss this? Wow. Yeah, that was the place where we, we we got off, and there was a spit of land right at the end. And we looked literally, we just we just uh, drawn into camp, and then we looked up river, and there was a there was a mother moose with two young in tow, just swimming across the river, and they got out on our island. And I remember Kim saying, "Make sure you go the other way, Mrs. <laughs> no, don't come this way." Yeah, um, and and I think we saw loads of beavers. Beavers are really oh, fun. Are. Um, you'll probably find on the, on the videos that I've sent as well, Craig. Um, I'm actually laughing at myself going, beavers are so much fun, aren't they? They make like big explosions. What's great, what's great about the beavers is they swim out, they kind of swim across the water. And you're, so you're, you're traveling with the flow. So we're, perception wise, we're like, I'm going to intercept this beaver. He's swimming across. Yeah. And they almost give you a little sideways look and carry on. <laughs> And then, then, then they had this moment of realization when they realized that you're currently on an intercept course. And then they're like, "Do I carry on swimming across, or do I turn around?" And they generally turn around again and go the other way. And they slap their tails. And the beavers are great, weren't they? I mean, it's like they're great yeah. fun. You know, they, they um, I mean, bald eagles towards the end were just like seagulls. They're so common. Um, yeah. I got attacked. Uh, yes, this is brilliant. It was so oh. funny. Well, we we, 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 we shared the same story, Craig and I. It happened to both yeah. of us. Yeah. We got attacked by what? What does anyone know? What the bird Art- Arctic terns? So they're looking a little bit like small seagulls, um, and they're very aggressive at protecting their. Uh, they're their territorial nests, and, and and protective over their nests and areas. Yeah. And I was in front, so they kind of picked on me. And uh, by sounds of it, Martin had exactly the same experience as well. We yep. talked about this on a call a couple of weeks ago, and they would dive bomb you and squawk, and they would fly maybe what, a foot or two above your head. Yeah, it was so funny. It was so funny to watch. <laughs> and, you know, I nearly clouded a definite them. highlight. Yeah, I was like trying to swing my paddle, not to hit, not to hit them, but to kind of. Yes, you did. He was hungry, Martin. He was hungry. Yeah. <laughs> but I tell you what, I mean, we we saw. I mean, uh, you know, the moose, as you guys saw. You know, we saw a couple of bears on the bank, and nothing in camp. Uh, one of the things that I will always remember seeing, and having researched it afterwards, and seeing how rare it is. You know, Skip and I saw lynx, um, which was. We were paddling along and it was, we, you know, you probably like most teams, you start off having a game of wildlife bingo. You think it's going to last the whole duration of the race where you're going to keep points for different animals. Yeah. Three kilometers in, you're bored of the game and no one can remember what the score is. So, um, but it's like there are certain things you think would be like that golden ticket or the, 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 the big number. And I just, I remember saying to Skip, I was like, look, there's a cat. Um, <laughs> And Skip's like, I don't think that's a, a cat, Craig. I think that might be a lynx. And then you suddenly realise, because your distance perception is so off, that actually what looks like a cat is actually still 400 metres across on the bank, prowling on the bank. And um, yeah, and I looked it up afterwards, and it's actually, there are Yukon lynxes, um, yep. and they are obviously very shy. And, and so that that was, a, I think, a, a, a real special moment for me spotting it. And I think for Skip and I seeing something that, you know, was uh, yeah, such, such a special thing to see. Yeah, for me, uh, it was the osprey. Um, I spent, I spent a, a lot of time in Scotland, um, and you know, osprey hang out in Scotland a fair amount, and I've never seen any. Um, and we saw that our first osprey just before we went in, literally just before we went into Five Fingers. Um, and I was like, "Well, that's not an eagle. My God, it's an osprey." 
Um, I, I like my wildlife. You might might have figured this one out. Um, uh, so to see things like things that I've wanted to see for a long time, both here because we get them here. And then over there, things like lynx and, and moose and bears, you know, they're all fascinating to me. Um, but the osprey was just like, wow, th- there's a message. What Glenn would have said to me is that the creator is sending you a message now that actually Five Fingers is going to be fine. And it was, you know, Five Fingers was absolutely fine. Um, uh, so, yeah, it's like learning from from the people that live in these territories that the messages they get from these different things, whether it be wildlife, whether it be plants, tobacco used a lot by First Nation people to bless safety and, and travels, um, really comes into the forefront of your mind. And you're like, okay, there are messages being sent to me. Well, that's how I felt anyway. And it was a you know, very unique and special trip to have because they the wildlife that we saw were not interested in us because we were just on the river floating past. So they just hung out and we hung out and I'd look at them and they'd look at you and you'd float past and their head would watch you go past and you'd be watching them and they didn't go anywhere. And it was like, this is just insane, but wonderful. So talking about wildlife, um, and this is something that didn't happen to, well, it just certainly didn't happen to us. And I, I don't think it happened to you guys, but Simon, we are, we are part of a Yukon Adler 2023 um, Facebook messenger group. And I'm not. Hold on a minute. I haven't got. I'm not part of this. Aren't you? That, yeah. That, not that I'm aware of. No. Bit bit <laughs> bit late <laughs> now. You <laughs> said early. You don't do social. Okay. But it was, it was yesterday. Um, somebody posted some footage um, just past Dalton Highway Bridge. So literally, oh, yeah. maybe about thirty miles now. And there was a beluga whale just south of the bridge where we finished. So. I mean, they, they actually posted the video footage. So, my God, you know, who'd have thought a beluga whale in a river? Um, I mean, that's just another, that's wildlife on another level, isn't it? You know, that was awesome to see. But, um, and knowing um, it was just at Ramparts, so just mm. past where we finished. Um, but, yeah. Dodgy sat now by the sounds of it. Yeah. <laughs> Dodgy GPS and mapping for the beluga as well. A couple of miles before the bridge, before we finished, we we saw the black bear with two cubs. Yeah, two were, tw- a, a pair of twins. Falling each other over in the grass. Yeah. That, that was quite, yeah. Nice. Lovely. And that was lovely to see because yeah. we, we were about three miles from the finish, actually. And uh, that was the second bear we'd seen in a, in a thousand. It's, it's a message from the creator. Yeah. You're going to make it. And this is my moment to allow you to see that. Yeah. That's what goes on here. Yeah. Um, Sorry, there's one thing I'm going to say here, which I think is really poignant. Um, it's nothing to do with wildlife, but it is about other sort of... Um, in a thousand miles, I saw, or we saw, one piece of litter. One. So what, did you guys see any litter? The, the, the worst bit I saw um, was coming into Stevens Village, and there was a house at the side of the river, just as you approached Stevens mm. Village, where the bank was falling away and there was shit everywhere. Sorry, French again. Uh, it was rubbish everywhere. But apart from that, I was really disappointed to see that. In fact, Craig and I were like, well, we were. I think we were taking a picture. And it was like, oh, hang on a minute. I'm not sure I want to take this picture because that's really, really wrong. Yeah. Um, but apart from that, yeah, it was incredibly uh, pristine in terms of pollution from the outside world. Um, just tell us about the flats. How did you manage that? And how did your maps work out? With yeah. that? I think. 
everyone under John always said that his concern is always around the reason the kayaks and canoes leave a day later than everyone else is so that because they are faster the idea is that all the teams will kind of roughly be in the flats at the right at the same time and having now done having now done the race we think we could all understand exactly why that's a very good idea because at that part of the river you may think that oh we're this, this is this is the final leg. This is the you know the last. It's actually the most dangerous and confusing. You're, you're most tiredest. Uh, common sense beats any map, and common sense at that point is it, it's lowest. Is it isn't there? Um, <laughs> it, it, the the river changes so much every winter because of the because of the ice melt that it looks like a war zone. It looks like napalm's gone through. The, there's no banks. There's no there's no reference points, Craigie. Is there? There's no mountains. There's no hills. Nothing. There's nothing. Um, and the, the, the flow. You know, you know, you need to go twenty k that way, but the flow goes round this way, and then you go where you think you should go, and you suddenly hit a sandbar which is just under the water, and because the water is so cloudy, you didn't see it, and it's just—it's hard to explain to anyone about being there. But you're in it it's for huge. days. It's, it's huge, just huge. and you, you've spent eight—you well, spent eight hundred miles using maps and GPS to pretty much good use, and you get to this point and it's it's like it's like the final you the way i saw it it was like it was the final challenge it's like it's like it's like the big boss level mm, you know, it's like, home, wasn't it you know and it's um yeah and i think i can see now why the organizers do their best to have everyone because the, the only ones going to help you in that area is other races um we were lucky in as much as the canoes and kayaks caught us skipped and they when we were in the as we entered the flats yeah and we yeah. very learn by watching them overtake us and try and follow them and skip tell it you know you've got some stories tell them about I mean, kelly we followed in um uh yeah it was kelly and steve i think um Talking about reading the river yeah well you tell them the story there because you know we, we, we were we were we were probably about two hours in and we were like we're two hours into two days in this this environment um yeah, I'm, I'm hoping I'm going to get this right because Craig might be talking about something. <laughs> but I think I think what we realised was watching these guys that had spent time on rivers of that kind of caliber um, understood how to look for the markers that made you catch the right bits of flow because it's so vast. I'm on the right track, Craig. Am I? Yeah. Okay. It's so vast that um, the flow is far from everywhere. And there's two ways of really working out where it is. And one is to, and you know you're in it because the speedo's telling you so. But there's another way, which is 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 knowledge of rivers and seeing from, because, and we have the advantage on a paddleboard actually, because we're up high, to see where that meander goes within a great expanse of water. Um, and we, we were, Craig's right, we were fortunate to be able to watch people that had experienced those kinds of environments and that kind of water and go, hang on, there's something else here that can help us through this bit. Um, and we did a lot of that throughout the whole journey of learning on the job completely. But we did it effectively. And I think that really, you know, was, was, was great for us. It helped us kind of gain confidence. I think we had a conversation quite early on in the race, actually, that said about every section of this race is teaching you something new that you didn't know before. And the reason that they set the race up the way that they do it is so that you are gaining those skills that when you get to the really, really complicated, difficult bits, you've got more skills than you had than when you started. And that's a really important progression in the story of a race like this. Um, I think I'm kind of, I hope I'm covering what you're saying, Craigie. You are absolutely, it's like you, 
you kind of level up as you it, it, maybe the computer game analogy is quite good you know it starts off in hindsight you know like i joke that like the first part of the race was like a busman's holiday you know the, the guys are in a you know it, it's sunny the water's crystal clear it's tough don't get us wrong but like you're learning skills, that, yeah, in you're learning skills that uh, and in hindsight now yeah it's it, it does get tougher and tougher um you feel you're learning new skills that you then get to kind of put into practice and uh, and as Skip said, from a paddleboard, you know, when you're high up, you start to, you think you should be going there and forward, and then you can see a darker shadow in the water, and it doesn't go straight as well. It kind of in the flats, and Martin King, you must have seen this. You, you can almost see a darker patch, a bit like a, um, uh, if you see, you know, like you, the, the, the sky way to heaven or something, didn't I? Something. It's a bit like a riptide on a uh, on a beach. It's a darker patch of water, mm. but it doesn't go in a line. It kind of bends, and you. And you watch canoe. I mean, canoes are incredible because you watch them go, and they they can hold their position, and they find it. Then someone's steering and someone's paddling, and we would try and copy their line, which is really difficult on a paddleboard when you're paddling on your own as well, because uh, the way of steering and power is very different. Um, but yeah, the flats. Um, it was it was like the final big boss level, um, and obviously it made it worth it at the end. But it you know it was brutal. It was nothing enjoyable really. It's the kind of place you like to fly across the top of. Yeah, not yeah. even that would be boring. Yeah, you're not selling it as a holiday destination, chaps. I've got, to, <laughs> I've, I've, I've got to say. Um, um, I mean, obviously there are all sorts of twists and turns. You have got to pick your route. Did you make any expensive uh, false turns there, or did you manage to sort of pretty much stay on track? Skip, can I answer this part first? Part of this one, you yeah, of course can. Yeah, I thought you probably were going. Yeah, I think you know where I'm going with this one. So probably I'll I'll set it up, then you can destroy (laughs) it. It's probably the best way. So I'm going back to what we said about the whole creeping paranoia. You know, at this point, I was deep in my Kim and Martin are literally one bend behind us. You know, we've we've held this is we've we've held this out, and here we go. We're going to lose it on the eleventh hour. We're going to you know, and on my maps, you know, there's in the flats. There's a few known short i think shortcuts they're cut throughs there's a lot, a lot of like oxbow bends where there's bits you can go across and actually there's one oxbow bend that now is no longer an oxbow it actually has a the river's broken through and you can cut off a big thing so there's a there's a few um points where there's some cut throughs that last year particularly in a high water year were great you know and they used them and we saw them on the track last year and i spoke to a few locals this year and they're like you know yeah it could be it could be good but you're always worried about, you know, is, you might get halfway down as a beaver dam or there's a blockage or it's not quite shallow. But so early on the race, when when, when the uh, the Estonian girls passed us and they told us, you know, that they that Kim and Martin weren't behind us, they they'd saw them a couple of days earlier. So we're like, okay, we we know we've got a gap now. Let's manage it. So what we agreed with each other was, we're therefore not going to take any risky decisions like cut throughs or things where we might get stuck. I had lost a shoe in a capsize. I couldn't, I had no shoes or things on my feet. So if I had to drag a board across a beaver dam, it was in a, it could lose. I think, I think I kept saying to you, Craig, we're better at paddling than dragging at this stage. Skip was like, we're better at paddling and dragging. Let's not put any risk. We basically agreed no shortcuts, even though it's longer, follow the river and skip, I should let you carry. Can on. I? Can I? Can I cut in and just give some perspective on? Um, uh, there's no shortcuts, even though it's longer. So I'm sure Martin and Kim will reflect on this. But I remember going round one of those bends you're talking about, Craig, that have turned some of them into oxbows and so on. And at this moment in time, I was doing some mathematics. I don't know why I decided that I wanted to calculate what the rough distance of the inside of the bend was. 
and the, the the short calculation I did was ten miles. It was one in many, and you know, and then it was four hundred meters or five hundred meters across the river. So the outside of the bend was like seventeen miles. I just wanted to add that before you carried on, Craig. There we go. No, but now, so so the agreement we made was: don't take the shortcuts, play it safe, follow the river, don't risk hitting a beaver dam or getting grounded out. We're definitely faster paddling than dragging. Uh, and Skip, you can tell them what happened to me and my creeping paranoia of uh, Martin and Kim catching us. Craig, Craig um, struggled sometimes with 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 the afterthought of those decisions that were made completely together um, because he's he's, he's competitive. Um, so he he decided that he needed for his own peace of mind to check that you know after the event whether we might have been able to come through that cut through or not that that that, that frustrated me a little bit because because uh, <laughs> we, you know, we were kind of we were now in agreement fortunately um that once you make a decision you make a decision and you stick to it but craig liked to go back and have a little look just to see what if because he was worried that kim and martin were on our asses and they might pop out in front of us. That was the thing. You were so worried they might pop out in front of us that you needed to check they weren't coming down the cut-through. Purposefully paddled to the entrance of the cut-through, hoping I would see a blockage so I could reassure myself that we'd made the right call. And you'd see it flowing. You'd see the, And then I would be like, mate, you know, like, it could be okay. And he was like, we've made the decision. We'd go round, we'd do the, you know, like... In we've some got case, no like shoes. 14-mile loop round. And we'd reach the exit point of the cut through, and I had to paddle over to it, even if it meant paddling a kilometre across the river. I would do that because I wanted to check, a hoping to see that it's blocked, and if it wasn't blocked, hoping to see that Martin and Kim weren't coming down it. Yeah, and um, I'll add to that just just one thing that there's a rule, and I'm sure Martin and Kim will agree with this. There's a rule in the race, and I've spoken to John about it, where you, as paddleboards, have to stay thirty metres away from each other at all times. It's not fucking possible. It's just not possible, particularly when your paddle partner wants to go and check something that you've already decided you're not going to do. I weren't going to do that. <laughs> there, there, is, there is something here, though, that, that we need a bit more detail on, which is your missing shoes, Craig. So, so you capsized, you lost a shoe or shoes, and, and you were shoeless for the rest of the trip. Yeah, so I think... so. Our board admin, I think both teams, having spoke to everyone and seen anything, our board admin was really good. You know, everything was strapped down. We had done practices at the lake, at the shack. We had done capsized practices. You know, we had turned the boards over purposefully. The way we had our boards kitted out, they floated really well. And we practiced turning them back round. And so we'd done all that stuff. And and 99% of our board admin throughout the whole uh, race uh, was great. You know, you're always really, everything had a tagline on it. So every water bottle, your pee bottle, your coffee, everything had a tagline on it. It was always attached to something. Uh, people, yeah, oh, on the board. Anyway, that's another story. Um, so, um, I've still got mine. I love it. Everything had, you know, everything was secured in some way or another, and you could get to it. You know, we had like a elastic paracord, so you could pull things towards you. Uh, and there's quite a few times when important kit would pop off and fall. You know, our, uh, our life straw, hydration flasks, it would fall in the water, and you're. And you're, it's on a tagline, so you just pull it back in. So my shoes, um, I had these really nice, I'm not going to use the brand name, but they're very nice swim-run trainers. So they're great on land. Uh, so they're great when you're making camp and you're having to uh, uh, get, get all your gear onto rough land, but also on the water, they drain and dry really quickly. Um, the problem was 
as Martin and Kim will probably tell you as well, is your feet swell quite a lot as the race goes on. Um, so it, you have to kind of manage things, and you like you can't always be wearing shoes that you know would fit you. To be fair, to be fair Craig, I didn't wear a line. pair of shoes in the yeah. whole event. But also, you've got um, you're, you're mindful of um, trench foot, which is very common. You know, feet. You know, if you're wearing like sealskin socks, which I had. They're great when they're dry, but if they get water in them, they don't let water out. Sorry, in, but they also don't let water out. So you can risk trench foot. And as Martin said, because of the heat and the sun, sunburns a real big thing as well. You know, like, so you've got all these things going on where you, and also when it's really hot, you put your feet in the water to cool down. So you want to have that kind of thing. So you're always taking shoes, socks on, off, putting sun cream on. And I had these really nice shoes that were my, my, uh, my camp shoes, my swimming, my, my uh, paddling shoes. And I thought I had them carabinered on just past Carmax. I capsized upside down. No, no, it was uh, not past Carmax. It was actually before the girls caught us. Yeah, yeah, it was the a circle. Yeah. No, no, it was uh, yeah, just before the Alaskan border. Capsized. It was a horrible day. It was pouring with rain. I managed to get the board back over again, got back on the board. And then your first thing you do is you're looking for anything floating in the water. All is good. And then all I could see was one shoe. Um and then there's a very nice, expensive swim run shoe of a brand I will not mention because they would not replace the one. No, shoe. you're yeah, joking. Yeah. Anyway, um, so yeah, the shoe is somewhere. And as Martin and Kim said, you know, did you see any rubbish? Well, if you drain the Yukon uh, one day, then you're going to find uh, you're going to find a GoPro from the French guys last year. About eighteen pairs of sunglasses. Skip. Eighteen pairs of sunglasses from Skip and a, <laughs> a right foot Vivo. Uh, 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 well there you go so um for those of you listeners who are taking part in 2024 we've uh we've got a bit of a scavenger hunt for you and a uh, special bonus if they <laughs> find uh craig's shoes so we're through the flats thankfully um and we're approaching the finishing line and i think martin mentioned that getting to the highway bridge was a bit like being on a treadmill and i guess you would have had that experience quite a bit you've got a vast river stretching out ahead humanity. of you and you can see it it's in front of you but it just remains out of out of reach how was team shack how were you at the end there and and how were you physically at that the finish craig is it all right if i start and let let you uh because there's something i want to say about craig in this moment about about that that final stretch when you re-enter what is more like a river having seen the mountains as you're coming out of the flats starting to appear and going, we know we finished in the mountains, but those mountains are a long way away. It can't be those mountains. Um, and you're traveling and you're traveling. And then it starts, the hills start growing and you enter the mouth of what is more like a river again. Um, and I had the flow hunter with me. And Craig became known as the flow hunter by this in, in, in many 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 circumstances and and we found flow in that bit of the river craig i think we were we were we were traveling all right yeah it was it was weird though but it was like unlike the rest of the river it was kind of like it was doing this so like if you, you went, can't do that you can't do that on a podcast mate that don't work you're out of it and it'd be one minute when i was in it and skip would be you know 10 meters to my right and he would be out of it then all of a sudden he would I, nothing changed in our cadence or our paddle strokes, but he would then just start moving ahead of me. So, we, it, you know, and you're at the end of the race. And as Martin said, you realise you're looking at this map and you're like, well, it's only a little right. You're not in the flow for long before you have to move. Um, but, you know, it's, it's more, I think the treadmill is the most amazing analogy, actually. I, yeah, I, yeah, I'd I, agree I, with I that. It was like the final test of the race, wasn't it? Do you remember us referring yeah. to it as the final test? 
it was like you kind of at that point you know I, I was still looking backwards by the way at this point we still every so often look backwards like you know martin and kim there you know are they going to be behind us and you know you're kind of waiting for this bridge and there's a point where you come around a corner and you see something that just is not mate it's just a it's a line rather than a, a weird shape and again we had the benefit of having been there last year yeah uh, and so we knew what we were looking for um so when we saw that line straight away, we we're like, well, there it is. Um, but even then, you're you're still four or five K out. Um, and yeah, and I think... We celebrated three or four times on that stretch of river. Yeah, then we realised... Yeah. And then know, we, we were still that. going. Yeah, it's, like, it's like, just like we were with the Lake Labarge. You know, we celebrated <laughs> too early. You know, <laughs> we were, you know... Um, uh, yeah, so it was just incredible. Like, you know, it, you know, you're getting towards that bridge and it, it, it starts to evolve... It kind of, evolve into what we knew it looked like having been there um and unlike martin and kim you know we knew what to expect when we got to the beach so you start looking out for that um like nothing yeah, there's nothing it's, a, it's just a surreal a surreal thing and you know it's yeah it's yeah it's incredible and there's a few more cabins that start to appear people will live up that way but you're still off the face of the earth and i think that there's probably maybe one or two k before the bridge was personally was the one time i thought Okay, I've done it. Even even ten k, ten k, twenty k earlier, which over a hundred, sixteen hundred kilometers, there's still things that could go. You're still not thinking like that, but I think once you've visually seen a line of concrete, and it's like, strike me down, I can still float that finish line. You know, I've done it. I've done it. I've done it. I think, uh, yeah. And we, we questioned quite a lot at that stage, you know, how, you know, almost how we were going to feel when we did go under the bridge and turn right. Something we'd visualised, Craig and I anyway, for four years and Martin and Kim for a, a shorter period of time. But we'd, we'd always visualised getting to that bridge and turning right. And you then start thinking about, right, how am I going to feel when I get there? You know, and, and, and or we did. And we discussed it actually in the run into it. And actually, I don't think how we actually felt at the end um, was anything to do with any of the discussions we had. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, I've always talked about this, and John's mentioned it's it's an odyssey, and it certainly seems to have been that for you know both teams. You learn out there on the road, you learn things about your own um, way that you can deal with mental, mentally stressful um, environments, you know, physical environments, sleep deprivation, all of that sort of stuff. And at the end of the day, you achieve your objective at the end together. And it looks like you're still talking to each other within the teams. So um, although, Craig, you are sitting quite a distance away from Skip, but to be fair, you were in the last session as well. So um, I won't draw any conclusions from that. Um, just in terms of the physical after effects, and we need to get onto the questions fairly quickly because yeah. uh, we've only got yeah. 25 minutes left. Um, in terms of weight loss, the Yukon 1000 has also been described as the, the most extreme weight loss uh, plan in history. I think the record is about seven kilos. You guys are still looking incredibly slim line. Um, I mean, particularly Kim and Martin. Um, I blacked out my camera for a reason. Have you? They, there you go. But, but uh, I mean, did you did you measure your, the physical effects of the, the the trip on you, Craig? You're, you're looking particularly pleased um, there. You know, <laughs> uh, not, 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 not pleased. More um, as as someone you know from previous conversations. You know, we, and, and like Martin, uh, as a background of personal training and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. That kind of thing. 
is uh, something we gauge stuff on. It yeah. is a metric that is interesting, even just because you can, you know, when you, if you're interested in that kind of stuff, those kind of metrics are something that are interesting. So, yeah. so um, yeah, so it was really, you know, I, I lost, personally, I lost about six and a half kilograms. Wow. Um, I, I, you know, I'd put on weight purposefully beforehand um, and I hoped that it would all be fat that'd fall off, but knew it wouldn't be. Um, so yeah, muscle mass went down, but like, it was, it was interesting that, yeah, we lost, I lost probably six, six and a half. It's hard because I didn't have a set of scales at the finish line. Mm. So there was a, you know, there's a, there's a few days before I got to somewhere where I could jump yeah. on a set of scales, but, um, uh, lost like this for the geeky people. I lost like, I think about four centimeters, centimeters of my waist. Wow. Um, um, uh, I know, yeah. centimeters of your waist. Yeah. You've never measured your waist. So you have no idea what that means. But, no, I haven't got a clue. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, I mean, Martin. I mean, it's like it's, it is really interesting because it's you know when you put your body through something like that, it, it it's fascinating to see how it adapt. It obviously adapts. We've seen that, you know. That I'm going to try and say this in a way that you know, there's people in that race. If you look at the, the age range and what you visually look at people physically, and you you have these preconceptions, or maybe people have these preconceptions of like, how could you do something like that? You know, you're you're older or, you know, this is a race for 25 year olds that are built like, you know, brick. Not at all. Houses, it's the opposite or whatever. But actually, you know, that's the, that, there. that's it's the muscle that's important. Yeah. And it's amazing how, how your body will adapt. And yes, you get back from a race like this and it's interesting to see how, how much weight you've lost or how much muscle you've lost. And it's quite fun, but like, it's not, there's, there's, it's there's not. one muscle, there's, there's one muscle that gets a lot stronger after a mm. race like this. And I'm tapping my head for those that are not watching. Right, right, guys. So we've got some questions here, some um, some listeners' questions, and this is probably going to be more of a sort of lightning round than I, I was hoping for, but we've had a really interesting uh, quick, quick chat fire, here. Quick fire, quick now, fire. Yeah, like quick okay, fire. so I've got, I'm starting with two questions. So these guys, I don't know whether we've uh, heard of these guys before, but it's Nick and Dan from something called Fortune Favours the Brave. So, hey, boys. How are you? <laughs> So, um, so to the first question, um, and remember, this is a lightning round. So, for Team Shack, uh, how many hours did you actually stand up on your board for? I think there's there's some assumption that you sat down a bit, but uh, no idea. But there were periods of times where you had to sit down because the wind was so bad that you couldn't have stood up anyway. So, I couldn't answer that, Craig. You? No. Likewise, I think um, the the best thing about being on a paddleboard is you have options. Yeah. Yeah. Like guys in canoes and kayaks, I you know people say, "How can you paddleboard it?" I'm like, "How can you sit down for that long?" Yeah. Uh, uh, we can sit down, lay down, and stretch out. Yeah. Okay. All good. Lovely. Okay. So there's uh, unanimity on that one. Um, I suspect there might be unanimity for this question, which is the second one from Fortune Favors the Brave. Is if you were going to do the race again, would you do it in a canoe? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Ask the question if we do it on a paddleboard again. Would you do it on a paddleboard again? No. It's oh, you've it's done, done that. You've been been there and done that. Right. Okay. Okay. Next question. Um, I'd like to hear how the guys are doing in respect to post expedition blues. Uh, I seem to have more of a high when I come back, and it always changes my life in some way. This time, I stopped biting my nails after fifty years, and that's from Duncan Holton, who also goes under the name of Fluss Mensch. Um, what about post expedition? blues guys we did mention this in one of our previous sessions have you got i mean i know i know craig you've got the documentary to keep you um to keep you busy but i wonder whether anyone had um 
had sort of experienced anything and any advice for people coming back from a huge expedition like this? Uh, time. I think for me, to get the documentary side of thing, I think physically you physically is an easy thing to track of how you're getting better. Um, I, I know Skip and I have both got temporary nerve damage in our feet and our hands, you know, uh, so... I'm about, just just for the for the purposes of this particular question, because he mentioned biting his nails, I'm still in the process of losing two of my fingernails as well. From paddle, yeah, exactly. So I think phys- physical stuff you can kind of monitor the the repair and how you're repairing, but I think uh, the kind of the mental kind of recovery is is strange. But I, I personally don't think I've quite um, processed it all quite yet because mm-hmm. there's all this noise. We're now doing these podcasts; it's great talking about it, and but you kind of get to the finish line and you do something like this and uh, whether you spent four years building up to it or six months or whatever it might be, it's a massive life-changing event um, and you're never quite sure how you're going to feel afterwards. And maybe afterwards when you don't have this, if you don't have a big epiphany and a big kind of like, I'm going to change my life for the better and it's amazing and I suddenly see things cl- clearly like I did on the river, uh, like Martin doing maths and me you know, planning. You kind of almost like, it's like a, it feels like a bit of a hangover. Mm. Um, it's probably better, I can say. And but I have no doubt that that will get better, and we'll start to really think about stuff. But I think it's a it's a bit of a hangover right now. Well, well, hopefully, Craig, you're yeah. thinking a little bit less about Martin and Kim than you were on the mirror on the river. If yeah, living rent free in your brain it's, it's, for much yeah. of that that race. Yeah, no, exactly. But it's a strange thing. It's like um, I, I think time as time goes on, we'll feel. Uh, things will start to process and it'd be amazing to yeah. think about what we've achieved, all of us. I think, um, I think, yeah. Yeah. Can, can I just add to that as well? I think what's really interesting is that, you know, the real moments where you start processing um, what happened or, or, or your experiences are when you meet up with your teammate or, or other people that have been through the same thing. And I don't think any of us have had much chance to do that. Um, but I know from the, 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 the couple of exchanges Craig and I have had face-to-face, it's the bit that makes me start to process things a bit more. Um, and, and I think it is a journey to, to, to find out where, where this is ultimately going to end up taking us. But I th- for me, it feels incredibly positive and mm. I feel like I've achieved something. Um, right, next, next question. So um, from Tony Chappell, I'm an armchair mountaineer and all-round adventure geek. I'm really interested when people try and climb a new route or a new mountain. Recently, I've really got into following the adventure side of SUP, thanks to SUP FM. Thanks, Tony. So my question to you is what river, route or challenge would you like to attempt the next that's never been done before and why? Craig and Skip, anything? I've got one. Yeah, I've got one. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, you you probably gathered by now that I'm not really a racer of paddle boards. Um, I like paddling and I'm all right at it, but I, I like the adventure side of it more than the racing side of it. And a few years ago, I, I did quite a lot of paddling in Thailand and I, I paddled the River Kwai. I call it the River Kwai. It's cool because the River Kwai is dick in Thai. Um, so it's really, um, and I've I've always harbored the thought that I want to paddle that river from the source to the sea, which on the rudimental research I did over the years, it's possible. Um, so I think that might be the one for me. I think I was, I think I was the, either the first or amongst the first to ever paddle a paddleboard under the bridge over the river Quay. Well, that that's very cool indeed. It's just something I'd like to do. Mm. And I've got some, some history there. Um, I don't know whether it's ever been done. Will I have a look? Don't know. Don't know whether I'm bothered about that. 
Yeah, I'm going to have a look too. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Uh, I think we all are. Yeah, Martin, we're going to do it before he does it. <laughs> oh, God, fair of you. I've got a bit of competitiveness in me. Brilliant. Right, okay, we're going to get back to the lightning round now. So, uh, Box PR have asked, I'd love to ask about their ref- refuelling strategy. We've already touched on this, but how often and how much did they consume? Probably not enough by the weight loss, but uh, what was the plan on that one? Shall I go for this from a technical point of view? Yeah, yeah. not from me. Right. No, you go no. for it. No, I had a spreadsheet initially that had exactly the same stuff as Martin and basically Get out the window. All, all the plans <laughs> fell apart and it's like... It's, <laughs> well, it's the same with anything. It worked it, for us though, mate. It worked for us. The same the thing is, it's like having a plan is great, but sometimes being able to execute it is the hard part. Knowing what you should do and doing what you should do uh, are two very different things. Well, different th- things. Th- there's a saying in the military that n- uh, no plan outlasts the first contact with the enemy. So, uh, so that's yeah. is, to... is it? Um, is it? Is it? Is it uh, Nigel? No, uh, it's um, Chris Eubank, isn't it? Um, no, no, it's Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson. Every that's everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face. That's the that's, that's the exactly other great one. Right. Here we go. Um, there's someone called Sup Junkie. I don't know whether anyone's heard of Sup Junkie. No, no, I think I've heard no. Of um, but anyway, they've left a comment on Instagram and asked. I'd like to ask about leave no trace principles. Did everything get carried on the board? Yes. Yes. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Oh yeah. There you go. Yeah. Brilliant. Hundred percent. So there. Hundred So there you go. Sup, junkie. Whoever you are, that's uh, that one answered for you. Um, we've got an, we've got a three part question here, so this is going to need to be a really quick answer. So this is from Holly Pie, and uh, the first, hello, Holly. And the first question is: What was something that you guys thought would be hard, but was actually easy? Five fingers. Okay. So. Um, what was something that you thought would be easy but was actually hard? Flats. Oh, you thought they were going to be easy. I never thought that. You thought they were going to be easy. Okay. I don't agree with that. Uh, okay. okay. Fairness. They told us a lot that they were going to be hard. <laughs> yeah, not quite as hard as it was. Sleep, sleep deprivation. Yeah. Like, sorry, that's, that's a proper answer. Sleep deprivation. Yeah, sleep deprivation that, without a doubt. Yeah, I thought that'd be hard, but I actually got through that actually a lot easier than I thought I did. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then the final question, would you do it again? <laughs> Silence is golden. Uh, you know I, what, for me, if I could just say what I think, Craig, for a moment. For me, I don't know, because travelling the same stretch of river on any river is, is, you know, sometimes harder than the first time you do it because um, you've kind of seen a lot of it. So that, that's the mental battle. I think the, the other side of the bridge might be interesting, but it sounds horrible. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Yukon, Yukon 2000, you're not up for that one. Well, I don't want to do the first thousand again. Yeah. Anyway, Craig, you? No, I think I think the only thing that maybe interests me a little bit is maybe being one of the first people to do it in a, on a paddleboard, a canoe and a kayak. Oh. There you go. Three times down the same stretch. You're a glutton for punishment, man. I'm not saying I would do it. There you go, Skip. Skip, I hope you're up for this. No, I'm not. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay. Um, so, um, I mean, just so, so that's um, the questions there uh, from our listeners. Um, Craig, uh, this season started with our chat at SUP12. We're obviously really looking forward to the documentary. How, how are the plans for that? How's that progressing? Uh, really well. I think um, uh, there's, there's obviously logistical challenges getting lots of content from lots of people. Um, but from what I've seen so far coming in and what for the team have captured, um, I had the, the amazing opportunity to 
produce something so special. Um, there's so many amazing stories. You know, you never know before a race like this whether you're going to get 17 teams and things are going to be just boring, but they're not. There's some amazing characters, amazing stories. Everyone's been on board. Um, the, the, the tough challenge now is being able to turn that into something that is uh, under an hour, unlike this podcast. Yeah, we, we've run slightly over time here. Well, look, guys, that's it. I can't believe it's the end of the season. I just want to say a huge thank you for listening to uh, all those who we connected with on social media, particularly while the race was on. Huge thanks, obviously, to John and to Petra and the whole Yukon 1000 race team. Special mention to Dan and Nick from Fortune Favours the Brave. And, of course, um, to you guys, Kim and Martin from the Renegade Moose Chasers and Skip and Craig from Team Shack for letting us share your adventure with you. Thank you too, Simon, for, you know, persevering with me in particular because I'm terrible at technology. But thank you for, for, for allowing us to contribute to your show in such a lovely way. Oh, amazing. It's, it's, been a real, it's, it's been a real privilege. Take care, guys, and uh, see you on the water. Maybe sub 12. Yukon 24. Come on, Simon. <laughs> yeah, man, you've got, you've got to do it. I've got all the secrets, haven't I? I'm going to use them. Yeah, yeah. And access to more if you need them. Oh, there you go. Fantastic. Who could ask for more? Take care, guys. <laughs>